This Week in Retronauts. arcade video games were much simpler affairs than they are now. While that made for pleasantly no-frills, no-nonsense game design, it also meant many arcade titles tended to operate around a few common principles. After all, there is only so much you can do on a single screen. So you can perhaps forgive Gottlieb's Qbert if it feels maybe just a little bit familiar in the context of its times. After all, most games back then did. So while Qbert may have worked largely within familiar boundaries, it remains memorable for the interesting way in which it combined game concepts, and of course, for its bizarre, obscenity-spouting eponymous protagonist. At heart, Qbert builds on the principles of Pac-Man. They may not look much alike, but the two games exist under a common spirit. While historians tend to credit Pac-Man for sparking the maze chase genre, in truth, mazes were only incidental to Pac-Man's design. The point of Pac-Man was not to master a maze, the maze was simply the impediment that stood before players and their main goal. No, Pac-Man was really about controlling territory, and it's this element that Qbert and many other games of the era built upon. The core idea behind Pac-Man was to claim the maze by transforming paths with dots into paths without. While Namco presented this process as eating pellets, the same concept translated directly into games like Alpha Denshi's Make Tracks aka Crush Roller in which players painted floors of a maze. Same concept, different execution. Kubert further expanded upon the notion of claiming territory by presenting players with a pyramid of cubes, viewed from an isometric perspective. Each of the cubes comprising the pyramid offered three visible faces, and the faces pointing upward served as platforms onto which both the heroes and his enemies could leap. As the player hopped from one cube to the next, the upper face of that cube would change colors. The goal of each stage in Qbert then was to completely swap out the color of every cube in the level while avoiding foes. It sounds simple in concept, but Qbert's design turns out to be decidedly mind-boggling in practice. Due to the isometric perspective and the arrangement of the pyramid, Qbert can only move at 45 degree angles. He gets about by hopping from one cube to the next. The game's designers, Warren Davis and Jeff Lee, attempted to make this mechanic as straightforward as possible. The arcade cabinet's joystick was mounted at a 45 degree angle with its control axes on the diagonal rather than horizontal and vertical, as with other joystick-based games of the era. Not only does this mean that home ports of Qbert inevitably feel slightly off due to the T-shaped crosspad becoming standard for home consoles following the NES debut, it also means Qbert's controls took some getting used to. Even in an era where non-standard control setups were the standard, Qbert's interface demanded practice. Luckily for Gottlieb, the game had a few things working in its favor. For starters, it offered appealing visuals. The pyramid consisted of bright, bold colors on a stark black background, and the color-changing mechanic was at once obvious and aesthetically exciting. Even if the force diagonals of Qbert demanded some mental recalibration, they existed in service of a simple, intuitive objective. More than that, though, Qbert offered a memorable character. After Space Invaders and Pac-Man, everyone wanted to create the next video game mascot. You succeeded. Qbert broke into those rarefied ranks. He had a few things going for him. For one, he had a whimsically bizarre design. The character essentially existed as a pair of skinny legs supporting a strange head consisting of 
expressive eyes, and a large snout. He bore a striking resemblance to the Menomina singers from The Muppet Show, except without a body. Hubert's design wasn't the only thing that set him apart from other would-be video game icons. He also had a filthy mouth. When players caused Cubert to bumble into a bad guy, the action would freeze and he would emit a string of curses before dying. They weren't real curses, of course. Video games would go another 20 years before they'd be dropping F-bombs like there was a war to win. Instead, Cubert uttered randomized phonemes of sampled language, the computerized equivalent of Yosemite Sam screaming Rassum Frassum. These pseudo-obscenities were accompanied by a jolt to physicality. The machine came equipped with a pinball knocker pilfered from one of the many tables Gottlieb manufactured to lend extra emphasis to your failure. Dying also prompted a little word balloon filled with a string of symbols to appear above Kubert's head. And in fact, that censored curse almost became the game's name, a choice ultimately thwarted by the fact that it would have been completely unpronounceable. Kubert worked better as a title anyway. It resulted in one of the few games whose title began with the letter Q, plus it was an amusing goof on the word cube. And players would hear those muttered epithets quite often, as Kubert turned out to be a downright harrowing game. Between the quirky controls and the mind-bending behavior of bad guys, it quickly proved to be as worthy a challenge as any game of the early 80s. In addition to the fundamental challenge of play, Kubert must also deal with five different enemies. The most dangerous of these was definitely Coily, a spring-like purple snake that would hatch from an egg that bounced to the bottom of the pyramid. Once hatched, Coily would pursue Kubert closely, not only shadowing the player, but even moving to cut them off. In contrast, the duo of Slick and Sam were merely vexing. They didn't actively pursue Cubert the way Coily did, but they'd hop randomly about the pyramid and switch back the color of claimed cubes to the default. Trickiest of all were Ugg and Wrongway, who turned the visual design of the game into an Escher-esque nightmare. Rather than travel around on the upper faces of each cube the way other characters did, this pair instead utilized the cube's forward faces as their platforms. While they followed a simple path, their determination to ignore gravity could be extremely confusing and made for a difficult-to-predict X-factor that complicated the action. Really, none of the enemies were necessarily difficult on their own, but when all thrown together into the same odd pyramidal space, they could be downright daunting in their ability to frazzle players. Though much as in Pac-Man, Cubert did offer players a way to briefly turn the tides of the action in a bind. While the hero couldn't physically harm a foe, he could trick them into plummeting off the side of the pyramid. The board was flanked by a pair of discs, one on either side, that Cubert could hop onto. Leaping onto a disc would whisk the hero back to the top of the pyramid and out of harm's way. But that wasn't their real value. No, the true strength of the discs came from the fact that if Coily was in hot pursuit, he would attempt to follow Cubert onto the discs and fall to his doom, offering a brief respite to harried players. Offering a wonderful blend of personality, visual panache, simple goals, and complex mechanics, Cubert deserved its success. The character was even whisked into the pantheon of game-based cartoon characters as part of CBS's Saturday Supercade, alongside Donkey Kong and Mario. And thanks to his unique design and memorable love of obscenities, Cubert has greatly outlived the video games that starred him. No sequel to Gottlieb's original coin-op classic has ever come anywhere near to replicating its success, but Cubert himself lives on in pop culture cameos. He enjoyed a remarkable comeback thanks to Disney's Wreck-It Ralph, which even made a minor plot point of the character's propensity for garbled language. The strength of that cameo inspired a new Cubert game called Cubert Rebooted, which, like all Cubert sequels, came and went without a blip. It wasn't a bad game, though. And it certainly would have been a better way for the character to close the book on 30 plus years of history than his most recent media appearance. Kind of gross cameo in this year's Adam Sandler dud, Pixels. But don't blame Cubert for that one. Blame his agent. Cubert may have been a one-hit wonder, but it was a pretty impressive hit. Representing a venerable pinball maker's sole video game success, one of the most memorable characters of the 80s arcade, and a fascinating game concept in its own right, 
Hubert stands as one of the true classics. For Retronauts, this is Jeremy Parrish. You can check out more Retronauts podcasts at retronauts.com, usgamer.net, and on the iTunes store. This episode was made possible by support through Patreon. Thanks for listening. Retronauts will return next week with a full-length audio episode.